The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. We need to worship our God as He addresses us in His Word. I invite you to open your Bibles once again to Leviticus chapter 23. We're continuing from where we left off last Lord's Day, covering really the same passage, focusing in on the fourth commandment on the Sabbath day. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Let's give our attention now as God addresses us in His Word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. This concludes once again the reading of God's word. May he be pleased to add his blessing now to it. Well, when I worked at an assisted living center when I was in seminary, one of the things I liked to ask the residents was, tell me what life was like back in the day. I want to get a first-hand account. What, what, what was it like? How have things changed? And they were, of course, always eager to talk about it. But one of the things that consistently came up with emphasis is that everything used to be closed on Sunday. A gas station might have been open, but other than that, everything was closed. Restaurants, department stores, any sort of entertainment facility, theaters, everything used to be closed. Today, it's the exact opposite. Rather than places being closed as a rule, places are opened as a rule. There are a couple of exceptions such as Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. Those places are the exception. And surprisingly, those places are actually doing pretty well, despite being closed an entire weekend day. And while as Bible-believing Christians, we have held strong on the Creator's design for marriage, yet we have for a while now disregarded the Creator's design. From the beginning, before even sin entered into the world, of setting aside one day in seven as worship and practice. And the question is, in setting aside or in disregarding this practice, are we following the Bible or are we following the world? That's the question we've been asking. So we're spending a few weeks looking at why. The fourth commandment remains perpetual along with the other nine commandments. That is why there's ten commandments still and not nine commandments. And I started last week. And as I was addressing this last week, some of you may have had some objections that came from the Bible. What about Colossians 2.16, which says, See to it that no one judges you with regards to a Sabbath day. 
Or Romans 14.5, which says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. See, I just esteem all days alike. Why are you telling me that this day is different? And you look right from the Bible for that. The other objection that is raised is that the fourth commandment says, Remember to to work six days and to keep the seventh day holy. And here we are, the first day of the week. If the commandment explicitly says keep the seventh day holy, and we're not doing it, how can you say it still continues? So I want to address these objections today. That's really what I want to do. Two objections. To the fourth commandment. The first is the New Testament seems to teach against it. And the second is the day is no longer the seventh day. Then in the following weeks, we're going to talk about various questions. What about works of necessity? My, my job requires me to be at work and so forth and so on. But today, just the objections. So first, the New Testament seems to teach against it. As I already mentioned, the two main passages used to object to the fourth commandment it's Colossians 2.16 and Romans 14.5. So let's turn to those passages now and examine them. I invite you to first turn to Colossians 2.16. Colossians 2.16 in the New Testament. Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, the ESV translates Sabbaths as singular here and capitalizes Sabbath, which gives the impression that it's the Sabbath day. In the Greek, it's new moon and Sabbaths, plural. Now, why is that important? That's important because that's an exact phrase that comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Well, originally the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. About the 3rd century B.C., it was translated into Greek. And the New Testament writers utilize that version, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this phrase, New Moon and Sabbaths, is a phrase from the Greek Old Testament that specifically refers to the Old Covenant Jewish ceremonies that were added on to the moral law. There was the weekly Sabbath day, setting aside one day in seven, that goes all the way back to creation, before Moses, before the Jews, before even sin entered the world. And then there were additional Sabbaths and holidays and festivals that surrounded the, the moons that, that, that was their calendar that were a part of the Old Covenant, as we've been seeing in Leviticus. New moon and Sabbaths refers to those things and not to the Sabbath day that goes all the way back to creation. This becomes evident when we consider food and drink. Let me give you this example. You have, a, you have a, prof, a friend who's a professing believer. And this 
professing believer, you notice, has been getting drunk, been abusing drink. And as you should, as a faithful Christian, you go to this person and you say, you know, brother or sister or whomever, notice you've been getting drunk. And you call them gently to repent. And their response to you is, uh, uh, uh. Colossians 2.16 says, do not judge anyone with regards to food or drink. You can't judge me for getting drunk because it says, see to it that no one judges you with regards to drink. Stop being a legalist. What do you say? Without suggesting that scripture contradicts itself. Well, right away you see what Paul means with regards to food or drink. He's not talking with regards to all food and drink, but the food and drink of Jewish ceremonies. Things that were added on. And this is the case regarding new moon and Sabbaths. The extra added on Sabbaths and not the moral law, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment from the moral law. The Sabbath day was already in place long before any Jewish ceremony, long before the Old Covenant with all its food and drink ceremonies. It was embedded as part of the fabric of creation that we see from Genesis 2. It is part of the created order just like marriage is. And marriage hasn't changed, has it? No, we don't follow the culture in that. Neither shall we, should we when it comes to this pattern that God has established with regard to setting aside one day in seven. Now we look at Romans 14.5. Look at Romans 14.5. Romans 14.5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now on the surface, this seems like strong evidence for rejecting the Sabbath day. One person regards one day as better while another sees them as all alike. So if I want to go camping on Sunday, I just treat it like as if it's Saturday. They're all alike. However, this is why it's important to not isolate verses from their context, which we do have a tendency to do in our day. Such as when we use, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We tend to say, well, that means God's going to fulfill all my dreams. I'm going to have my best life now. I'm going to use that verse or my sports team is going to use that verse as guarantee that I'm going to win. What's the context of that verse? The context of that verse is I can be content whether I have plenty or whether I'm in want. So how I apply that verse is even if we lose big time, we're going to be content. Even if I don't get what I want, I can be content. We need to consider the context of the verse, and that is the same thing with regards to this verse. The immediate context of Romans 14 is, is about not judging those with regards to food or drink or religious days. Does that sound familiar? Food, drink, days. Sounds like the same context as Colossians chapter 2. In verses 2 through 3, Paul is speaking about those who wish to abstain from certain foods and tells the Romans, 
to not judge those people for that. And then in verses 5 through 6, Paul is speaking about certain days. Again, these are the same issues that Paul addresses in Colossians 2, this Jewish context, this Old Covenant context. Now, whereas in Colossians 2, Paul warns against people forcing you to partake in these Jewish things, Romans 14, Paul is warning not judging someone who still does. And why is that? Well, we need to consider really the context in which they lived. They were coming out of thousands of years of living in the Old Covenant. And people don't just set aside their convictions like that. In fact, you don't want people to just set aside their convictions like that. It took them some time to come out of the Old Covenant system. Think about the Apostle Peter. He was there during Jesus' days when Jesus said in Mark 7, Nothing going into your mouth makes you unclean. Thus he declared all foods clean. Peter was there. He heard it. We get to Acts 10. The Lord himself appears to Peter in a vision and says, Rise, kill, and eat. Referring to these unclean foods that we see in Leviticus. And Peter goes, By no means, Lord. I I don't eat unclean things. And God has to tell him again that those are no longer in effect. It still took them some time to come out of that. And so that's the context in which Paul is addressing uh, the, the people here. This was a huge part of their life. And Paul is dealing with those old covenant Jewish ceremonies and not talking about the moral law of God. The other thing to consider is the broader context of Scripture, not just the immediate context. Paul's dealing with these Jewish ceremonies that were added on when he says each one, uh, what someone regards one day is better than another. He's talking in that specific context. But we also need to consider the broader context of Scripture. Uh, We need to make sure we account for all of Scripture and don't just give a surface level reading. For example, Romans 14.4 where we are to not pass judgment on another. We just took that verse, quoted it just like that, don't pass judgment on another. We might be a little confused when we read what the same apostle says in Corinthians 5.12, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Wait a minute. Romans 14 says, don't pass judgment on one another. 1 Corinthians 5 says, you are to judge. We need to consider the context. Otherwise, we are going to scratch our heads and be confused. We need to look at the whole counsel of God. Well, the same is true with Romans 14, where Paul says, some regard every day alike. But we look at other places in Scripture And we see that believers did not regard every day alike. In fact, there's biblical commands to not regard every day alike. Such as 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul commands that every first day of the week, you are to take an offering. And Paul didn't just say this to the Corinthians. Like, this is just for you guys, because you guys don't seem to have any organization. Your constitution is not that great. Rather, what he's saying to them, 
He's also saying to all the churches. He goes, as I directed all the churches on the first day of the week, you are to take an offering. Why does the first day of the week matter? I mean, if why didn't Paul just say, just do it regularly? Making sure you're doing it. Why does Paul tell them the day of the week that they are to take an offering? Well, that's because taking an offering is part of corporate worship. And when did they meet for corporate worship? Well, Acts 20, verse 7 says that it was on the first day of the week under the apostolic instruction that they met for their corporate gatherings where they broke bread, a technical term for observing the Lord's Supper. And this is something that all Christians, as a rule, there have been a few exceptions, but as a rule, have done since the time of the apostles and the way it is even across the world today. So the first day of the week was treated differently than the other six days. Now why is that? Does the first day of the week matter for our corporate gathering? Is this just just happens to how it works out? Can we decide we're going to meet Tuesday evening? Thus says the Lord, people of God, you must meet Tuesday evening with the church. Can we do that? Does it matter? Does it please God? What does God have to say? Well, that brings us to the second objection raised to keeping the fourth commandment. And that is, the day is no longer the seventh day. Again, we read in the fourth commandment explicitly that they keep the seventh day holy. So how can we say that this commandment continues when we clearly do not set aside the seventh day? As the commandment says. And we see the apostles leading the early church in meeting on the first day of the week. And even giving commands for that. Now. It came with the death penalty if you broke that commandment. So you better have authorization from God to change the day. Do the apostles have authorization from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, to change the day? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. But did they change it arbitrarily? Hey guys, we just we just want to shake things up, you know, start fresh, start new. You know, we like new things and so let's just let's just meet on the first day of the week. Wouldn't that be cool? Be, be different. That'd be awesome. Was that their attitude? No, it wasn't their attitude. And I think you you know that. But why did they change to the first day of the week as opposed to the last day of the week? Well, this is because our God who loves symbols, baptism, Lord's Supper, using this day for symbolic significance. And the symbolic significance is that it points to the life of the world to come. The life that comes after this life, after this creation. Christ was raised on the first day of the week for this reason. Have you ever wondered why Christ was raised three days later. Kind of, I just, he's wrestling the devil. Just 
took him a few days to pin him down. And then, then oh, finally, I, I rose from the dead. Is that why? Well, it, he, he wasn't wrestling the devil. We know what happened when he drew his last breath. He told the thief on the cross, this day, this very day, you will be with me in paradise, which is heaven. And when he breathed his last breath, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. His spirit went to be with the Lord on that very day. So it wasn't wrestling the devil or something like that. But Jesus was raised three days later in order to be raised on the first day of the week, because that has significance. Christ being raised on the first day of the week was intentional. It was to indicate new life, the life that comes after this life. And how is that? Well, think about life on this world, in this world, in this creation. It's represented by a seven-day week. Why is that? Well, because God created uh, this world, this creation in six days and then rested on the seventh. So we exist in this creation in seven-day weeks. However, Christ being raised to a new life of the new creation, that which comes after this creation, indicates that he has attained and has granted to us the life of the world to come, the life that comes after this creation. And being raised on the day after the seven-day week, is a sign and indication of that. Some of the older Christian writers called Christ's resurrection the eighth day in reference to the seven day of the week. This comes from passages in the Old Testament where there was an eighth day Sabbath. For example, God declares in Numbers 29.35, On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly which is what the Sabbath day was about, a solemn assembly, a gathering, a holy convocation, as we see in Leviticus. You shall not do any ordinary work. So back in the Old Testament, there was an eighth-day Sabbath where on special occasions they had a solemn assembly, a gathering for worship, going to church in our vernacular. That's what church means. It means assembly. It's a holy assembly. This foreshadowed the change of the Sabbath day in the New Covenant. However, notice that God, there in Numbers, and that's not the only place, there's other places in the Old Testament, but he calls it the eighth day rather than the first day of the week. It would be on the first day of the week, but he calls it the eighth day. Why does he call it the eighth day? Well, it's to give it reference to the seventh day, that which comes after the seventh day. That's which comes after the seven-day week of this creation. Christ was raised intentionally on that day and received new life, life after death, on the day after the seventh day, after the full seven days of the creation week, to give this the symbolic reference of this new life that he had received, the life that comes after this life. This was the eighth day that the Old Testament foreshadowed. And it was to symbolize that Christ has entered the life of the new creation, the life that we experience after life here in this creation. The resurrection is the life of the world to come. 
It is life after this life. The resurrection is the portal, if you will, to the afterlife. Because we are united to Christ in His resurrection. That eternal life is not just a place. 1 John 5 says, Jesus Christ is the eternal life. And so, to receive eternal life, we are united to this person and have His resurrected life. That is what eternal life is. Of course, we are brought to a new creation, new heavens and a new earth. But being raised on the first day of the week, the eighth day, signifies this new life that He has entered into and secured for believers. We are a new creation in Christ. And we are destined for the life that comes after this life. And the day of worship, therefore, has changed in light of this. And so it's no surprise that when Christ met with His disciples during that 40-day period after His resurrection, do you know when He met with them? The Gospel of John is, is clear to pinpoint when He met with them. He met with His disciples on the first day of the week, after his resu- on the day of His resurrection. Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas doubted. And so Christ appeared to them again. When did he appear to them again? Well, it says eight days later, which in their accounting would be the first day of the week. Christ is only meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week. Why? I'm kind of booked. I, you know, the rest of the rest of the week is kind of busy for me. So I can, I can only meet with you on the first day of the week. Or is that intentional? Because that's a new pattern now. And when the disciples were gathered and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, what day was that? The first day of the week. And then we see in the book of Acts, the meeting on the first day of the week for the Lord's Supper. And in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, take the offering on the first day of the week. We see something new happening. We see that the day of worship changed to the first day of the week. It's what we call the Lord's Day. In Revelation 1.10, the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This is where we get the term Lord's Day. Now, some people say, well, every day is the Lord's Day, but they don't say it from the Bible. You're not going to find that in the Bible. And you ask, where do you get that from the Bible? Probably not going to be able to show you. The Lord's Day is a specific day. The Apostle John doesn't say Lord's Days, plural. He doesn't say a Lord's Day. He says the Lord's Day. It's something specific. That holy day set apart unto God from creation is set apart unto our Lord. Remember when our Lord said that He's Lord of the Sabbath? Now for whatever reason, some people believe that He just crossed it out. I don't know how they get that inference there. It's not inferred anywhere there. Rather, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath means that day set apart to worship God is set apart unto him. He's the Lord of it. This is the day when we meet with our ascended Lord in a special way where he draws near to us in his word. And while we are to honor him every day, yet... There's one specific day that we honor Him differently 
then the rest of the week by assembling together our holy convocation. It is true that we are to glorify God whether we eat or drink, but when it comes to eating and drinking the Lord's Supper, there is a particular honor. It is treated differently than all other eating and drinking. It comes with a warning. It comes with examination. We don't have that with every meal. So just as every supper comes from the Lord, but not all suppers are the Lord's Supper, so all days come from the Lord, but not all days are the Lord's day. And setting aside the first day of the week points to our salvation in Christ apart from any works of our own. David Van Drunen is a professor at Westminster Seminary, California. Uh, he's in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, minister there. He puts this very well. He says, as Seventh-day Sabbath of the Old Testament testified that the task assigned to the first Adam remained uncompleted, so the first day Sabbath of the New Testament testifies that the last Adam has fulfilled it. By resting first and then working, the Christian doctrine of salvation is portrayed in live action. God first justifies us by uniting us to his resurrected son in heaven, apart from any work of our own, and then calls us to work obediently in this world, not to earn our rest, but to express our gratitude that the rest has already been earned by the work of another. So whereas the seventh day Sabbath was first work and then rest, that task given to the first Adam in that covenant of works, do this and live. Work in order to enter rest with God. With the first day Sabbath, what is testified to is that we first enter that rest and then work. We don't work for life. We work from life. We first receive it in Christ, resting in Him, resting in the One who fulfilled the law for us by living perfectly in obedience to the law in order to be our righteousness, doing it for us since we couldn't do it so that we would have a righteousness not of our own. His righteousness counted as our own so that God sees us as righteous as Christ because we are clothed with His righteousness. That is what we get credit for. And Him going to the cross and paying for all our sins, that certificate of debt, that rap sheet, that God knows about every single desire of our heart, every single hidden sin, that rap sheet as long as from here to China, that is nailed to the cross. And we bear it no more. And then Christ rose from the dead, showing that the penalty can no longer hold him, that the death penalty could no longer keep him because he has paid for sins in full, ascended at the right hand of the Father on high. And so what work is there left for us as it pertains to our salvation? He didn't leave anything for us to do there. and We trust Him for that. We trust that He did it all. And resting and receiving that is how we then live. And from the life we have in Him, we then work. And so because the finished work of Christ and the rest we find in Him 
and Him being raised from the dead on this day, we honor His day, the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And so let us not be like those who will perish with this world in setting aside the day of worship for this world. Rather, let us demonstrate that we are alive in Christ by setting aside this world for a day in order to honor the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to do this. I know that the culture has driven a completely different thought in our mind with regards to this day, and the churches for the last 50 years have really followed suit. We don't want to follow the culture. We want to follow your word. So help us to embrace this. Help us to honor you. Uh, Help us to keep your commandments. By this we know we have come to know you if we keep your commandments. And you have commanded us to observe one day in seven, setting it aside. We have the pattern set for us in Scripture in the New Testament. And so we want to honor you. We want to die to ourselves. We want to die to this world. We have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to us because we have been crucified with Christ. And we now live because Christ lives in us. Help us, Father. Help us to to not only do this because you call us to, but to do it because it is a blessing and delight and really a true taste of the world to come. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.